Because I feel that in the heavens above, the angels whispering to one another can find among their burning terms of love none so devotional as that of mother. Therefore, by that dear name, I long have called you, you who are more than a mother to me, and fill my heart of hearts where death installed you in setting my Virginia's spirit free. My mother, my own mother, who died early, was but the mother of myself, but you are the mother of the one I loved so dearly. And thus are dear to me by that infinity with which my wife was dear to my soul, then it's soul life. Well, today on Mother's Day, we're looking at a poem by Edgar Allan Poe that spoke about three moms that impacted him. In fact, as you maybe heard that poem before, he actually references all three in that piece of poetry. His biological mom, he references the one who raised him, his foster mom, and he references one more mom, his mother-in-law, the one who raised the one he loved. And I love this piece of poetry because it speaks to the way that God can use women in our life in so many different ways. That God may have shaped you through an aunt or a sister or a mom or a grandmother, a stepmom, a foster mom, an adoptive mom. I love the idea that Mother's Day is a time of celebrating all the different ways God has used women to shape us, to form us, and to direct our lives. In fact, today we're going to look at an interesting passage in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah was a prophet prophesying about 500, 600 B.C. It was during that time that people were going through a very difficult time. The kingdom had divided in half, and as it was divided in half, things were sort of going away, and as it was going away, the Assyrian Empire had come and taken some people, and, and they were sort of giving up hope. And God says, I want you to know, when you're going through difficult times, I want you to know that I'm going to eventually bring heaven to earth. And in this final chapter of Isaiah, as he's describing heaven on earth, the metaphor that best describes heaven on earth is mom. Isn't it interesting of all the metaphors God could have chosen? He says the best way to describe what it's going to be like when heaven comes to earth is mother. So in Isaiah chapter 66, he says, Be glad with her, those who love her. For as one whom... A mother comforts, you all know what that's like. Think of a time you scraped your knee or, or, or went through a divorce and, and it called your mom up and she loved you and she, she listened to you and she was near with you. Just as one whom a mother comforts, so I, God, will comfort you. God wants to be the source of patience you need this Mother's Day, the source of joy you need this Mother's Day, the source of comfort you need this Mother's Day. So he's going to tell the nation of Israel through Isaiah that there's three ways they can act like a mother. And I think in doing these, he one, it tells us how we can honor the mothers and women in our life for their waiting on us, for their patience with us, for their comforting of us, and for just the way they make little things special by bringing joy to everything. But also how we can see that God is the ultimate source of motherhood. He's the ultimate source of all the good things that flow down to us. So how do we do that? Well, let's begin by learning how to wait like a mother on God's promises. He says, wait on God on his promises. It's really fascinating what he says. It's a really strange metaphor. 
It's that of giving birth. Now remember, these are folks who have been waiting on God for a long time. And he's saying it's going to be a while before these promises come to bear. In fact, it's going to be about 70 years of Babylonian exile before you get to experience a heaven on earth, a little piece of it. But don't give up on my promises. He says, before she was in labor, she gave birth. Wouldn't that be nice? To not have to go through labor pains. But it's an, isn't it an odd metaphor? He goes on. Before her pain came, she delivered a male child. Who's ever heard of such a thing? Who has seen such things? Shall the earth be made to give birth in one day? Or shall a nation be born at once? For as soon as Zion was in labor, she gave birth to her children. Shall I bring to the time of birth and not cause delivery? God is using this metaphor of a mother to say, when I begin a work in you, I'm going to bring it to completion. And it's going to feel like, as pregnancy sometimes does, it feels like it's going on forever. Oh my goodness, is that delivery day ever going to come? And there's going to be times when you're hearing about my promise of delivering on what I've said, and you're going to give up. It's taken too long. It's not happening the way I wanted. It's not what I thought it would happen. I didn't think I'd have to go this direction. Because when you're in the middle of waiting like a mother, I want you to know that it may take longer than you think to get the promise, but I can accomplish things in one day that you thought would take a hundred years. And he wants us to know that his promises are, are promises that you can count on. In fact, let's zoom into one of those phrases. Again, he says, who has seen such things that in one day this kind of stuff could come together? In one day. Now, living in 2019, we can see these are not just metaphorical, allegorical uh, concepts. God literally told the people he would one day bring them back to their homeland. Now, they've been scattered all over the empire. They've lost sisters and brothers and grandmas and grandpas. They've all been spread everywhere. I'm never going to see my relatives again. We're never going to be home again. And yet, after the Assyrians are conquered by the Babylonians, God literally brings them back together, as he promised, in like one day. It's a guy named Nehemiah who turns to the Persians and says, Hey, Persians, you conquered the Babylonians who conquered the Assyrians who conquered us. So since we're the people who are conquered by the people you conquered or the people you conquered, we didn't do anything wrong. Would you let us go back home? And the king of Persia is like, Sure. Would you finance it? Sure. Would you send us guards to protect us on the way home? Sure. And literally in one signing of a declaration in the book of Nehemiah, history records that in one day, all the resources and all the protection occurs for all the Jews to go back to their homeland just as God promised. Hundreds of centuries, people believed, oh, I guess the allegories of God returning his people to their land must be fictional because for centuries, Israel didn't even exist as a nation until 1948. And one day, the promises God's been making for hundreds of years suddenly came together and Israel became a nation again, just as God promised. In 1991, in Ethiopia, there was a, a turning over the government that's going to be very hostile to the Jewish people. And so in a 36-hour airlift called Operation Solomon, they moved 14,324 Ethiopian Jews. Imagine in 36 hours, you're going to fly 14,000 people back to the homeland where they could be safe. In fact, they moved so quickly because of the emergency, three women gave birth on the airplane. So these are examples in history where God brought quickly together his promises, even though it took a while to get there. 
I think that's what he wants you and I to know, that whatever you're waiting on this Mother's Day, whether it's a prodigal to come home or a relationship to be, re- to be restored or for God to bring together some kind of health report, God wants you to know that like a mother, it sometimes takes a while like pregnancy, but when that day comes, that child, wow, 24 hours, and suddenly you've got a child in your arms. And isn't the day that important when you're a mom? Remember when you were first pregnant? Maybe your daughter's pregnant or you're pregnant. And everybody says, you know, when do you do? When do you do? When do you do? Right? The day is so important. I remember when Sierra, it's our first, her due date was like July 1st. Hey, when do you guys do? July 1st. And we lived in Atlanta where it's hot during the summer. My wife was enduring the hot Atlanta May, the hot Atlanta June and saying, well, at least, at least it'll be over by July 1st. Yeah. July 1st came and went, and there were a lot of tears. July 2nd came and went, and there was a lot of tears. Then we started getting desperate. There's a place in Atlanta called Scalini's Italian Restaurant that promises that if you eat their pasta sauce with the eggplant in it, you will give birth within 24 hours. So we went there, and there are pictures, Polaroids, all over all the walls of people who ate this pasta sauce and within 24 hours gave birth. The, the, the hope of promise, promise, promise. Look, you've been waiting on it. It will happen in 24 hours. Look at all the other people who've had this happen. So, I mean, best eating the sauce. You're pouring it in. You know, she's getting all the pasta sauce in there. And we leave. It's like, ah, yes, the promise is going to come true. And then we wake up the next day. Nothing. That's right, we got to the afternoon. Nothing. That evening, tears. Tears. In fact, we're sitting on our couch, and we had a CD changer. If you remember the CD changer, it's like referencing an eight-track player, but CD changer on shuffle. We're sitting on our couch, and she's feeling emotional. I'm trying to figure out how to comfort her, and, and the CD happens to spin around to a different disc on a different song, and it plays an old song by a Christian artist called Wes King. And the song came on, and it was called... We thought you'd be here by now. (laughs) And it was all about getting the nursery ready and getting prepared. And yet the child wasn't there yet. It was about adoption. But it just so spoke. My wife's in tears. I'm in tears with her. And God just really used that moment to just remind us that he is faithful. And even when things take longer than you think and the promises that other people are getting you don't have quite yet. God says, like a mom and like pregnancy, when it occurs, when my promises come, I will bring it together in one day. In fact, we've been waiting for about seven years to get some things in place for Quinn and his short and long-term needs. And we have busted down walls and maneuvered every conceivable thing to try and make it happen and just couldn't move it. And we had news this week that literally in one day, stuff we've been working on for seven years got put into motion that may set us up for short or even long-term help for Quinn. And we just have had a week of thanking God the things we've been waiting for for almost a decade, actually a decade now, God brought, we think, um, to fruition this week. So I don't know where you're at, what you're waiting on, but I, I recently got to talk to my friend Kristen. I asked her as a new mom, and as a, a mom who's going to give birth in the next you know, seven to ten days herself this Mother's Day, I said, what's it like? What has God taught you through waiting? And what have you learned about God through that process? Let's hear her story. My personal journey to um, becoming a mom was a little bit, a little bit different. When I was younger, uh, I was told that it was going to be very difficult for me to conceive later on in life. 
and that there would be a lot of things medically necessary to help and I was going to go through a lot of surgeries and a lot of different things that would make it very, very difficult for me to have children. And that was very devastating for me because I've always wanted to be a mom. So hearing that it might not happen was just completely devastating that early on. And when I got married, Peter and I prayed through the whole process and he understood what it meant to go through the entire process of trying to conceive and having my own natural kids. And so we prayed and decided to to stop medications and, and just try. And we were given a timetable and it was a very stressful timetable, um, but it was okay because we, I was okay with the process because I had been preparing for it. Every month I was supposed to take a pregnancy test just to make sure that I wasn't pregnant or that I was. So I could keep you know, on with my daily life. And the first month was just routine, got up, took the pregnancy test, it's negative, threw it out, went about my daily life. Next month, same thing, got up, Peter went to work, it was just a normal day. It had already become something that was just gonna be part of every month's schedule. So I got up, I took the pregnancy test, put it on the counters, kept getting ready for the day, for work and everything, and I picked it up just to make sure before I threw it away. And I remember stopping in my track because I noticed a faint line that wasn't there the last time, but it was very faint. So I kind of panicked and I didn't know if it was yes or no. And I didn't want to get my hopes up because it was only the second month and this was supposed to be years and years of a process. And I called my sister-in-law and she was like, okay, go to the store, get a couple more just to test off of. Okay. Came home, tested them all. They were all glowing positive. And I just remember sitting on the edge of my bed, just laughing and just thinking how incredible it was to trust a God who fulfills his promises. The best and the worst part about waiting to be a mom actually in my life were the same thing. It was trusting that God's plan for my life is better than my own. And I am sort of a control freak. And knowing that in my life, it's very easy to look back at the choices I've made in my life and say, you know, waiting was also in my benefit, but also in my heartbreak too. So knowing that I was going to have to wait and wait and wait, but the process of that and the process of prayer and the process of trusting that his plans are actually so much better than my own actually made me grow closer to him because of the fact that I didn't know. There was there was no clear answer. All of the doctors said, ironically, hey, the best thing for your body would actually be to have a baby, but it's also going to be really difficult. What? So waiting on his promise was actually the most growing process ever because I had to lean into his promises instead of my own. So I don't know what you're waiting on, but God says, I want you to wait like a mother and know that I will fulfill the promises. When I begin to work in you, I'm going to continue that in you. But then he goes on to say to Israel, I want you to rejoice like a mother. I designed womanhood. I designed motherhood to be something to be celebrated this is especially interesting because we're talking to people in very difficult circumstances. Be, every excuse would be to not 
Hey, thank you. <laughs> It'd be every excuse not to be rejoicing. And yet, he tells them to rejoice with Jerusalem. Heaven is coming. Promises are coming. And even in the middle of these circumstances, you can find joy. Rejoice with Jerusalem. Be glad with her. All you who love her, rejoice for joy. That's a really interesting term, to rejoice. It's to rejoy yourself. To remember the joy that I prayed for these kids. They're driving me crazy right now. Rejoy myself that these are, these are people I love and care about when they're driving me crazy. To rejoy yourself even when you're mourning. All you who mourn for her, don't forget. Well, maybe your mom is getting to a stage where she can't do what she used to do. And you get a chance to rejoy your mother. When she's wondering if she made mistakes or did things wrong, you need to rejoy your mother by putting encouragement in her and affirmation in her and a reminder of everything she did right during those years she's meditating and everything she did wrong. Rejoy yourself as a mother. Rejoy the mothers and women in your life. Help them to see and to be glad that you may feed and be satisfied with the consolation of her bosom, that you may drink deeply and be delighted with the abundance of her glory. Look at these words, drink deeply and be delighted. Find the joy in life and celebrate the joy in life. Look at all the little things that our moms do for us. How they make birthday parties more than, you know, dad would even buy balloons. I wouldn't buy balloons. What a waste of money. We're just going to pop them anyway. But mom had this incredible way of, of just adding hospitality and joy and delight to all the things around us. Remember during the summer months, my mom would have unbirthday parties. What's an unbirthday party? It's just an excuse to have a birthday party that six months after your birthday party or three months. Maybe that's why I celebrate my birthday all the time now. I'm not thinking about this. I don't know. But... Uh, like my, my wife, it, w- it was the way she made my daughter's wedding special and thought of things I would never have thought of. It's, it's all the things our moms did to just add the special touches of joy into our lives and our kids' lives. Edgar Allan Poe has said something really interesting he does in that poem he wrote. He references my mother who died early. His mother died when he was about two, his biological mother. And obviously he had the joy that he has life because of that mother. Then there was another woman by the name of Frances Allen. That's how Edgar Allan Poe got his name. Let me show you a picture of her. This is Frances Allen. She was a high society woman in 1811, but she found out she couldn't have children. And that was devastating to her. But she found that God had a purpose for her, and she rejoyed herself by choosing to foster care. And so she took this two-year-old, and she raised him until he was 18 and had a special relationship a man she would ultimately name Edgar Allan Poe. But even that is not the woman that Edgar writes about in this poem. He actually writes about the woman who raised the woman he loves, his mother-in-law. And I think it's amazing when we think about that piece of poetry. It's a reminder that we have influence wherever we are. And whether you're an aunt or a stepmom, a biological mother, a foster mother adoptive mother or even a mother-in-law or grandmother or grandmother-in-law the chance we have to influence and show God's love and God's patience and God's joy to other people we live in a cynical world and a cynical culture that's longing for genuine joy so don't forget to rejoy yourself to enjoy the moments in fact I have a friend Patty who works with special needs kids in different ways and she loves mentoring young women She said, I just remember how stressed out it was to be a mom and taking kids anywhere and everywhere. And and what I remind the young mothers I work with is this. Don't forget 
to enjoy your children. Don't just discipline them, they need that. Don't just redirect them, they need that. Don't just get annoyed and frustrated with them, that's going to happen. But in the middle of all of that, rejoy yourself. In each of your kids' unique gifts and strengths, remind yourself of the joy that you prayed, you looked forward to this day, you put a nursery together for this. Yes, they're teenagers now, but don't forget to enjoy them at whatever stage you're in. I was talking to my friend Blake about a month ago, and I said, how has God taught you to find joy in being a mom? And what are some of the unique ways that only being a mother allows you to understand God's heart in ways that nothing else does. I'd like you to hear Blake's story this morning. Let's listen. I've learned the most about God's love for me through being a mother than any other stage in my life. I heard a sermon recently um, about the Father's heart and how um, he, the person speaking, related it to Um, how you feel about your own children. So when your first is born, you don't realize that you have the capacity to love this child the way that you do. And then, uh, you know, you start experiencing things with the child and you're like, I can't possibly love another child more than I love this child. And then the second comes along and you say, you know, I'm not possibly going to have room in my heart to love the next child more than this child. And there's just this space that you were created for and you were designed for that you didn't even know that you had in your heart Um, and that place will never go away for for your love for your children and you know you love your children um, but can still be disappointed by your children Um, you know there can be temper tantrums there can be um, you know discipline at school there can be all these things but your love for them that place in your heart doesn't go away and I guess I I relate that to how my Heavenly Father feels about me. That love that I never would have known about had I not had children, um, which I love my husband so much, but it's a different type of love, right? Um, Being a mother or a father. um, It's just to think that that's the way that God feels about me, um, you know, almost brings tears to my the thing that I enjoy most about the ages that my children currently are, which is 11, almost 10, and 7, is that we get to adventure through life together. Um, you know, when they're, when they're younger, you do so much taking care of. Um, and you still take care of, but in a different capacity. Um, so traveling together. We love traveling together. We love hiking together, experiencing new things together, learning about history together. That is what I love about this current stage of life. Um, I also like the small things, um, the, the bonding in the car on the way to school. Now, sometimes it's absolute chaos and crazy and screaming and yelling. Um, but most of the time we're laughing about it by the afternoon. So enjoying the little things. I love that idea, having a a 19-year-old, a 21-year-old, and 10-year-old now, or almost 10, that those moments go so fast, it's easy to miss them and remember the chaos and not to rejoy yourselves in those moments that happen every day, hundreds and hundreds of times a day. But God goes on. He goes on in this passage of this mother metaphor, and he says, not only do I want you to 
to rejoice like a mother, I want you to, to comfort like a mother. Because remember, many of them in Israel this time have lost people. They've lost homes. They've lost many things that they had set up in place, and they want comfort. I think for many of us, I want God to be my provider. I want God to be my warrior. I want God to be my shield. Those are good things. But to God to be your comforter requires you to need comfort. It means you're going through grief or going through difficulty. So we don't often long for God to be our comforter because we don't long for the circumstances that require him to be our comforter. But here he makes a promise to people going through very difficult times that he will be their comforter. He says, I I want you to comfort like a mother with my promises. He says, behold, I will extend peace to her like a river. The word peace is shalom and it's more than just a greeting. It's a way in which everything you need to put your heart back together and your mind back together and your life back together, the ultimate fulfillment will be heaven on earth. But pieces of heaven are available now. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth now as it is in heaven. Guys, I want to give you a piece of peace and tell you that ultimate peace is coming. And it feels right now that everything's flowing out of you. And certainly as a mom, it feels like just everybody's take, take, take. It's all give, give, give. But in my presence and in heaven, it is receive time, like a river of kindness flowing into you, a river of graciousness coming from me to you, a river of joy coming from me to you, a river of comfort coming from me to you. And the glory of the Gentiles will be like a flowing stream. And this would have meant a lot to that audience. Because remember, they've been conquered by the Assyrians, Gentiles, who are requiring them just to stay alive, to give like a quarter of their worth in tribute every month, every year to them. And so they're used to all of the resources flowing out to the Gentiles for building their big, you know, Greek empires and Roman empires and Babylonian empires. All their resources go to build other people's empires. God says, I'm going to turn things upside down. And the glory of all those empires you've heard about in history are going to start flowing your way like a stream. And you're going to be the receiving end of my promises, the receiving end of my gentleness, the receiving end of my courage. And if you feel dry right now, if you feel like the well is empty right now, I want you to know the river is coming. The river of my promises. And you're going to be able to feed. And then he uses this great metaphor. He brings this mother metaphor back again of how God as a mom feels towards you. I want you to be nourished by me, to feed from me. On her side, you'll be carried like a mother carries uh, a child on her side. Picture this like, you know, we have the, the baby holders in the back or the front. They had them on the side in that culture. Because I love to carry you around and, and show you off. I love to carry you around because I love to be near you. I love to brag about you. And I love to dangle you on my knees. I just love to so get you nearby and sort of play with you and talk with you. You ever thought about God that way? Not just some ritual, not just some cosmic equation, but a mother and a father who loves to play with you, who loves to interact with you, who loves to brag about you. Then he goes on to say, as one whom his mother comforts, so I will comfort you. And you will be comforted in Jerusalem. Now, Jerusalem had been ransacked by the Assyrians. There's never going to be comfort there. That's a place of tragedy. Because no, that's going to be a place of victory. I want to comfort you when you're mourning. Maybe this is the first Mother's Day when your mother is gone and your grandmother's passed away this year. God says, blessed are those who mourn. Seems weird, like, why would that be blessed to be mourning? Because I will comfort you. It's when we open our hearts to the need for comfort that God draws near to us. And some moms are really good at comfort. 
Now, some of our moms aren't, right? Some of our moms are good at conviction. They're really good at duty. They're really good at sacrifice. But some moms are just great at comfort. And my mom was one of those. People often come up to me and they say, well, you must have had a great relationship with your dad because you tell dad stories all the time. Um, Do you not like your mom? Why does she not make the sermon very often? And I have a great relationship with my mom. She just didn't do so much crazy stuff. Didn't make it into so many stories. I always say, if you want to know what I act like, look at my dad. If you want to know who I am, look at my mom. And my mom is fantastic, still is, at listening and comforting and creating a context to talk about anything. And I remember, you know, breaking up with my first girlfriend. Who's the first person I wanted to call and talk to? It was mom. You skin your knee. Who do you want to talk to? Mom. I remember having some friends in high school and just seemed like I was always on the giving end of that friendship. And I remember just great conversations with my mom, helping her navigate, helping me navigate the fact that was true. And the heartbreak of that and the disappointment of that. I remember making it to super sectionals and then losing the big game. And, you know, part of the, the shot was we had a shootout. And it was a sudden death shootout. And I was one of the guys who missed the goal. And I remember the comfort of mom, you know, listening in that. And helping me process that. And having the college I want all set out and being picked in the top 20 for that college. But I needed to be in the top three in order to get the scholarship I needed. And coming home from that weekend and I got chosen 13th. I needed to be in the top 12 to get any scholarship. And just the disappointment of that drive home through Indiana. I remember my mom loving and listening and caring and sacrificing. My mom texted me about two months ago. She said she pulled out her joy box. So her joy box is a place that she keeps things from the past that remind her to rejoy herself. She said, Chad, I pulled out that letter you wrote me when you were 16. So I was on a mission trip all across Europe for two months between my junior and senior year of high school. And I wrote a letter to my mom and I've written several since, but she keeps this one in her joy box. And she said, I, I pulled out your letter that said, Mom, you're my best friend. She said, I still pull that all the time and read it. So I texted her back and I said, well, Mom, I still feel the same way. Our moms can be such an incredible source of joy and comfort and laughter and just space to be real with. I remember my mom talking about when she lost her mother. Just how difficult that was. And, and certainly they fought many times as, as daughters and mothers do. But just how much she loved Eileen, my grandmother. She said it was so weird for the first six months after she died, every time something would happen, exciting, like always happened, first thing she'd do is grab the phone. You know, she'd go to dial the phone. On the wall, by the way. This is the, back when it was on the wall. So this is how long it was that she died. She'd pick up the phone on the wall and she'd dial it. And she'd get halfway into dialing it and, oh, that's right. She'd have to hang up the phone. It was just such an instinct to call and, and get mom's perspective or get mom's thoughts or get mom's comfort or get mom's advice or let mom to enter into the joy of it. She said something that just sticks with it. stuck with me for 15 years now, maybe 20. She said, Chad, you know you're grown up when you can no longer call your mom. In fact, this year I was sharing that story with my friend Kathy. Kathy lost her mom back in uh, October I said, Kathy, what has God been teaching you through comfort in this unique season of your life? And Kathy shared what it's been like to be comforted like a mother from her Heavenly Father. Let's listen to her story together. I lost my mom in October 
right on her birthday. She died on her 88th birthday. Um, and it's, you know, it's been a pretty tough time. I think what I miss most about her is really the simplest thing. Honestly, I call her every day and she was always so happy to hear from me. She'd be like, hi, honey. Almost like um, talking to me was the highlight of her day. And I think the other thing I miss most about her is she just celebrated my family so much. Um, she was such a fan of my kids. She was always involved in everything that they did. God has given me great comfort during this time of my mom's loss, which I have to say has been so much more difficult than I thought it was going to be. And I knew it was going to be hard. Um, it comes in different ways. Simple things like I learned her favorite hymn was How Great Thou Art. And I find myself singing it in the shower, which just brings back, you know, just great peace and joy. Um, we've also had some really great family time, um, sharing stories of growing up. And my brothers are hilarious, so it's just been a lot of fun to hear their perspective in addition to mine and get to share that together. And then finally, kind of out of the blue, we were looking for something to do to honor my mom. And the church called with the idea of donating towards a new organ, um, which is perfect. I know that they would be really honored. They, Both my parents were in the choir for more than 50 years, and it would be just what they would want. You know, I think what I love most about my mom is she was just the sweetest person. I had so many people tell me that she was the sweetest person they had ever met, almost, almost like an angel. And so what that meant for me and for my family was that she never judged you. She just always gave you the benefit of the doubt and gave you grace. My mom was an amazingly strong woman. She just handled adversity without whining, without complaining, without making a big deal about it. And I really think her strength came from her faith. You know, I think one of the lessons she taught me just in her very final days was when she said to me, I'm not going to be sad because I've had an amazing life and I'm not going to be scared because I have great faith, which, you know, I just... It's something to really aspire to, to be anywhere close to that when my time comes. So as you think about the mothers in your life, the women in your life, be glad with her, those who love her. As one whom God comforts, I want to comfort you. Let's thank the moms in our life. Let's take the moments to thank them for their patience, how they waited on us, waited for us, waited for us to come back after years of rebellion at times. Let's thank the moms in our life for their joy, the way they just brought joy into those everyday moments. Let's thank the moms in our life for their comfort, for comforting us during our difficult times. And more than that, God says that all good gifts come from Him. So actually to see your mom, whether she was a person of faith or not, all good gifts are God flowing good gifts into your life through the women in your life. To thank God that He is the source of all good gifts. So I want to pray for us, and then I'd like you to hear that scripture one more time. Now you sort of see the the unpacking of the whole thing and hear it as God speaking to you this Mother's Day. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are the source of all kindness. You are the source of all joy. You are the source of all love. You are the source of all courage. And Father, we honor you, and we honor our mothers as a source of honoring you. And Father, I ask that you would remind us that these hopes and these promises are things you want us to hold on to as we go through the good times and the challenging times of life. 
that you are a good God who loves us and cares for us, as you told us through Isaiah. Amen. Hear the word of the Lord, you who tremble at his word. Let the Lord be glorified so that we may see your joy. The sound of a noise from the city, a voice from the temple. The voice of the Lord. Before Zion was in labor, she gave birth. Before her pain came, she delivered a male child. (laughs) Who has heard of such a thing? Who has seen such things? Shall the earth be made to give birth in one day? Shall a nation be born at once? For as soon as Zion was in labor, she gave birth to her children. Shall I bring to the time of birth and not cause delivery, says the Lord. Rejoice with Jerusalem and be glad with her, all you who love her. Rejoice for joy with her, all you who mourn for her, that you may be fed and satisfied with the consolation of her bosom, that you may drink deeply and be delighted with the abundance of her glory. For thus says the Lord, Behold, I will extend peace to her like a river and the glory of the Gentiles like a flowing stream. Then you shall feed. On her side shall you be carried and be dandled on her knees. As one whom his mother comforts, so I will comfort you. And you shall be comforted in Jerusalem. Our entire team at Horizon would like to uh, wish you all a very happy Mother's Day. We'll see you next week as we continue in Rhyme or Reason. Have a great week.